Grand Rush Nation. We have a great episode this week of our sister podcast, Marijuana Today, with this one featuring KCSA's very own Sarita Wright, who joins host Ben Larson and fellow guest Karen Ringingberg in diving into, among other interesting topics, the just introduced Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, which would legalize marijuana at the federal level. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 413 of Marijuana Today. I'm your host, Ben Larson, and we're recording Sunday, July 24th, 2022. Ooh, two weeks in a row. You're welcome. How you doing, Marijuana Nation? Well, it finally happened. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden, and Senator Cory Booker formally filed the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, the CAOA, this past Thursday. Whew, I was beginning to think it was never going to happen. And it was delivered right on the heels of Biden declaring that he doesn't, and I quote, think anyone should be in prison for the use of marijuana. A far stretch from the old lock the SOBs up Biden. Of course, it wasn't a show of support for the COA, but rather a hint at what might come in the crime bill. While we continue to fight the good fight on Capitol Hill, it's seeming that colleges across North America are warming up to cannabis and getting support from the likes of Governor Kathy Hochul of New York. We'll be talking about all of this and more as we get serious about cannabis business and politics, but I couldn't do it alone. So I'm joined today by two of the brightest minds in the industry and movement. First up, she co-founded Astro Hayes, a bridge for multicultural women who wish to enter the cannabis industry and is now a senior account executive at KCSA Strategic Communications. Welcome back for her fifth episode, Sarita Wright. Hey, Sarita. Oh my God. Thank you, Ben. My fifth episode. I feel so honored. I'm so glad to be back. You are practically an OG now. This is good. <laughs> and then we have my longtime friend in the industry, someone that's been helping California operators like myself uh, navigate the complex and ever-changing regulations of the Golden State, Kieran Ringenberg of Ringenberg Law. How you doing, my friend? I am doing pretty good this fine Sunday morning. Good to see you both. It must be good to record these on a Sunday because... We take at least one day break from the berating news of uh, of the California cannabis market, and we get to record with a maybe with a little bit more pep in our stuff than say a Friday afternoon. All right, <laughs> let's jump right in. Appreciate you guys being here on a Sunday with me. It took three hundred and seventy two days, eighteen hundred comments, one hundred and thirty three more pages of legalese, and a filing delay or two. But Schumer's CAOA is finally filed. Uh, before I allow my skeptical self to infiltrate this conversation, I'm going to take a page out of my friend Max Simon's book and celebrate. Um, so 
let's take a moment to recognize just how momentous this is and and the journey is taken to get a comprehensive bill like the CAOA in front of our nation's leaders. Uh, while the bill is broad sweeping and, and would be a huge leap forward, uh, the filing itself, which we have to celebrate, <laughs> is, is, is a huge incremental success. Um, so the bill seeks to protect public health and public safety, prioritize restorative and economic justice, regulates and taxes cannabis, encourages cannabis research, and strengthens uh, workers' rights. So before I ask if, Kieran, how does this make you feel? It's a long road. It's another step down the long road. Doesn't make me think the end's really close, but, you know, we got to go through this process. And, you know, every time something like this happens, it's, um, it's something to put behind us and shorten the road ahead. I guess that's, that's the best I can say for it. Um, I, you know, there's also substantively, there's a lot of good stuff in the bill. There's some, there's some stuff I, I don't really care for, which I think we'll probably talk about a little bit, but you know, Hey, descheduling, expungement of past offenses, um, a tax structure that at least is, is thoughtful, if excessive, you know, it's like they, they're, they're we're making progress on these points. And, and I think that's all good. Absolutely. And Sarita, what about you? How are you feeling today? You know, shout out to Schumer and the team for getting this out. Um, I think, you know, he had several timelines and there was that one goal of getting it out before the August recess. So I appreciate, you know, somebody fulfilling a promise there and, and actually doing that. Um, I agree with Karen. There are some good things, you know, in the bill. Um, you know, some things that I do have, you know, some questions on or, you know, a little bit of a side eye on. Um, and I do also feel as though, you know, I know we're going to get into it, but I do feel like there are things that could be acted upon now instead of, you know, us having to wait. And like, you know, again, this is just like a little, little carrot that they dangle. They know midterms, they know all of these things are happening. <laughs> and it's like, there are some things that can be done today, your first hundred days, but I'm going to rest, rest for now. I, I appreciate you guys exercising restraint. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, it's great. It just, it brings so much relevance to, you know, like a 40 foot, like blow up joint being out, out on the long, like, you know, passing cannabis. Like, it's like, okay, we have a legitimate conversation in front of us now, not just something passing through the house, just get stonewalled by the Senate, like, like legitimately, uh, heading to the floor. So, um, that feels pretty good. And, and hopefully it is kind of like that, you know, it's like a ratchet, right? Like, it's just like, it's like we get that notch in. It's like, okay, now this conversation is worthy to be here. So let's keep having it until something happens. Um, so positive uh, moment now. Now we can move on to the rest of the chapter. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, think, I think we've all discussed ad nauseum, like the likelihood of it, uh, of something like this passing. Um, but let's, uh, Kieran, you started talking about, you know, some of the elements you like, some of the elements you don't like, let's get to it. Let's, let's, let's jump right in. Like what, what do we not like about, uh, the CAOA? Well, um, let's set aside its prospects for passage. Okay. That's something I don't like, but, uh, but if we just are talking about the hypothetical where we get this thing through both houses of the legislature and signed by the president, 
Um, <clears throat> I think that there is a, and I actually just noticed this for the first time last night going through the bill, there's a few regulatory items that they have shoved in here, which I think are just based on misunderstandings and lack of careful review. So one of them is the single largest transaction that's allowed at the retail level is 10 ounces. And, you know, I'm like, like, really, why? Like, why, why does that need to be? Why do we have this arbitrary level? You're like, some, well, someone can't buy, you know, some, you know, why 10 ounces? Like my <laughs> thought is every state's going to have their own rules. You know, you're going to have a regulator with power. Like, why do we need to set in stone that has to be changed by act of Congress? You know, that level, um, if someone wants to, you know, whatever, uh, buy a pound a year. Um, the, the second is there's a prohibition on any products that contain alcohol, nicotine, or caffeine. And we actually went through this in California. So if you take that literally, which, you know, it's the law, so you kind of have to, that would mean no chocolate and no brownies because they mm -hmm. have caffeine in them, which is just dumb. Like, there's no reason for that. I bet what they meant is added caffeine, but it doesn't say that. We literally went through that exact same problem with the California regs. I'm sure that'll get ironed out, but that's just another example of like, you know, something that is ham-fisted in the regulatory system. And, you know, it's like my viewpoint is they should make the statute as trim as possible, give the regulator power so the regulator can make changes on the fly to deal with things they don't understand or that's changed over time without having to go back to Congress. Because what we know is once it's in federal law, it's going to be really, really, really hard to change anything. So um, I have a quick question, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but why caffeine? I and why tobacco? I mean, like I get alcohol. Like I, I've you know I've consumed cannabis and alcohol together before, and I'm like, okay, maybe I can understand. Uh, it's a little unpredictable, but like I don't know. I, I I've enjoyed a spliff or two in my life, and it's not so bad. And then caffeine is. I'm, I'm like literally I'm drinking an infused coffee here on Sunday morning and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, the, the combination of cannabis and caffeine is, is, is great. What happened? What did caffeine do, do to the regulators to make them try to take it out of my cannabis? I, I mean, the only thing I can think of is, you know, going back to Four Loco and they have these products that were alcohol and caffeine that were sold and they got banned. And, and you know, I think that's kind of the general feeling is it's like, but I agree with you. It's like, do, I don't think we need to have a, a national prohibition on cannabis products, even that have added caffeine. But even if you assume you want to do that, okay, fine. You don't need to ban brownies, okay? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. Because guess what? We're going to have pot brownies in this world. It is going to happen. So, you know, like should we have regulated ones in the system? Like, hey, and a DIY make at home pot brownie, I support that 100%. But I kind of feel like it should be in the supply chain. Uh, and, you know, the other one, uh, a prohibition on alcohol, it says any product containing alcohol, which is stupid because one of the oldest – products used medicinally is an alcohol-based tincture. And Ooh. we went, again, we went through this in California. So it's like, oh, they, they banned products that had alcohol. So for the first 12 months in California, you couldn't get an alcohol-based tincture and then they had to bring them back and a whole new testing regime. So that's just another thing. And, and I guess, I'm sure we will get this all worked out in the long run before anything like this comes to law, but it's, but I hope that the general philosophy is not shoving in these prohibitions to make it look like you're protecting public safety when, because you're doing it with a lack of insight and lack of industry context, 
you end up setting these rules that just make no sense and they end up being pernicious in the long run. And I hope that they relax on that, give the power to the regulator to come up with regs, which can be adjusted much more easily than having to go back and get, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell to sign off on any change, which is in reality what it's going to be once we get this thing through. I know there's been a lot of shifting in like what is Republican versus what is Democrat and like the talking points. It's like the last six years so or so have like just really made it super confusing about like how to speak to each party. Sarita, you spend a decent amount of time in, in D.C. Like wouldn't like reaching across the aisle and like getting consensus be like make it less control and, and, and diverting more of the power to the states and like not trying to control everything from the government and adding an extra 133 pages or whatever it was like, it's just like, won't that just be like the single sticking point that makes it really easy for like the GOP to be like, no, like why, like, why are you trying to control everything from like, from a big government perspective? I mean, you know, I, I don't spend as much time downtown as, you know, I would like to, um, and not even dealing with Congress. This used to be a hundred about that. The parks, the museums, really where I'm going with this. But <laughs> I mean, I think this is a good, a good thesis, a good, you know, foundation. Um, some of some of the things that I was concerned with, I think, you know, one that stuck out was like there's literally three bureau boroughs that are overseeing this. That that seems a bit. I don't know. That just kind of raised some, you know, some some hairs on my back. I was like, this seems a bit excessive. Um, and and again, you know, I think that this is going to to lead to something bigger. I can appreciate the amount of feedback that it took for them to get here. The people who were in those rooms, you know, advocates, you know, legacy operators, current operators. So I really do respect that they took actual time and care with this. But all of these, you know, this act, this act, this act, somebody act for crying out loud. I mean, Biden came in and said the first hundred days I'm expunging records like he could act on that with an executive order. You know, we don't we don't have to wait on. Wait on on this to actually pass to start righting some wrongs here, and so I think that's one area where I get a bit frustrated because it's like again, you guys are kind of hanging this over us. We've had the more act, we've had all these acts. Damn it, let's move this thing forward for crying out loud! Because as we've also seen, just culturally, there's just stuff going on all over the place that we have our nose in that's not going to stop. So. Can we move some things along for the operators, for the legacies, like you were saying, Karen, for the regulators who actually need to regulate this in the state? This is insanity. And then you can also see there's clearly some people who maybe could use some further uh, expertise because to Karen's point and to like you're saying, like I, you know, back in the day, I was awake in Baker, giving my coffee give me my joint and we're going to get this day started. I'm taking over the world. Let's do this. So that even idea of like, wait a minute. So you mean I can't get no cake up? <laughs> that, that seems like we're moving backwards where I can go get a Keurig now that does the cake up and I can make a latte, like, oh, like real talk. So there's definitely some things that still need to be worked out, but there are some things that can be acted on and, why there is still so much division, like, you know, I need, you know, I need a bill, you need a bill, this side needs a bill, this side, I just don't understand, you know, less, I'm, like, I really don't, like, you guys are about to take a, a August recess, 
You know, yeah. I'm taking five days vacation already <laughs> this this whole year. You mean to tell me you guys cannot seriously in this day of our Lord 2022 come together, shake hands, kiss the babies, and get going? Because y'all really have a lot bigger things going on to be concerned with and worried about. So, you know, Biden, you can act on some things. Let's tighten this thing up and, and stop dangling over our head. Because I think also we're kind of just over it, you know? Yeah. It's like, we're going to keep this train moving regardless. I, I got to give a shout out to my friend uh, Chuck at, at Flower Power Coffee. Uh, Sarita, if you haven't heard of him, you got to check it out. It's the K-Cup. It's the cannabis. And hopefully it stays legal. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's kind of ridiculous. I, you know, part of me is like, do we even have a alignment on like the biggest key, like kind of decriminalization side of the bill where it's this, you know, removing cannabis from the, the Controlled Substances Act, right? Like, that seems like a pretty big filter. And I'm, I'm curious as to how close we are on alignment of that particular topic. Because for me, that would be huge. Like, if we were just to try to tackle, like, removing it from the Controlled Substances Act, at least we wouldn't all be, like, in jeopardy of being charged with federal crimes, like constantly. Right. Um, do we think we're close to, to getting agreement on that? I mean, I'll take a stab at that. I mean, I think there's clear political consensus that that's what should happen, but we have a political problem, which is neither party wants to give the other the win. So I don't what you know, my I'm not a political I'm not, you know, I follow politics like some people follow football, but I'm not an expert. And um, uh, I just cannot imagine uh, 10 Republican senators giving Biden the win of of de of descheduling or otherwise legalizing cannabis. I just I just I can't see it at this time in history. So I don't think we have much chance of passing, even though I don't think you'd have any trouble finding 60 senators who agree that it's good policy. Um, and the right thing to do. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it'd be hard to find 10 Republicans who agree with that in the Senate, but I, I think if you really got them to speak their heart as opposed to their political talking points, I think you'd probably get there. Um, you know, the other thing I will say is straight descheduling, which potentially could be done by executive order. I think that's a complicated question. Some people definitely are of the view you could do it without Congress. I don't think we're gonna get it out of this president, but you know, someone might try. Um, has another issue, which is we have these state rules that are very complex. And if you just lift federal illegality, like you're gonna have some really complex interactions about how the state rules work. So there's some effort to deal with that in uh, in Booker's bill, um, um, where there's a prohibition that says basically, every state has to treat product produced in another state as if it was produced in their own to prohibit, make it clear that a state can't say, it's federally legal and now you can't, you know, you can't import weed from California just because it was produced in California, for example. Um, um, but if we if we don't have some f actual thoughtful federal um, uh, legislation on how that works, we have a difficult transition ahead of us once federal illegality works and we have these like cross border issues to sort through. And in my opinion, that's actually like the real cutting edge of these regulatory problems is like, how do we deal with the fact that we have all these very different and different um, differently organized state regulatory systems? And when the federal barrier comes down, what happens next to interstate commerce in the states? To me, that's like 
the big thing, and I don't think it's really getting a lot of attention. Um, um, you know, and I will say, I have made the point a few times, um, uh, you know, California's market's really struggling right now, but obviously um, the, the folks that are surviving here are have to be ruthlessly efficient. Whereas in some of these limited license states where there's only a handful of licensees, so they don't really have effective competition, you know, if California suddenly get to jump into their market, um, that's that's not going to be great for the incumbents who have been relying on a monopoly. Um, and, you know, so I'm sure there's going to be a knockdown drag out fight by the folks who have these regulatory monopolies to protect the the asset that they've spent a lot of time and money and political capital to um, to build. And so I, I think that's a lot of going to be where the action is. And I worry that that fight, which includes a lot of people with a lot of real influence and money um, on the side of keeping things the way they are, is going to prevent us from getting federal legalization. Because like at some point, if you're a limited license holder and you're making really good money in your monopoly state, federal legalization means the end of your fiefdom. And, um, and so I worry we have a bad dynamic where the industry is pitted against each other um, as, as far as whether we really want federal legalization or not. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a very valid point. You know, there's, um, I don't know, there, there, yeah, there's so many, I mean, we see it at the local levels, right? We see a lot of infighting uh, state by state just when it comes to the various, the various laws that are being passed for home grows or, or, or what have you. So if you just imagine that on an even larger scale level of, um, you know, these very well-funded companies and, and what they stand to lose if, if they lose their competitive edge. Um, one thing I think everyone could benefit for, for from is a, 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 a removal of 280E and, uh, which immediately introduces federal taxes. But I think, I think the counterbalance is that as long as it's less than 30%, then we're generally coming out with a net positive. Is, and it's interesting, you know, the federal tax rate proposed range from 5% up to 25% for, for large companies. Um, so it seems like they're fully utilizing the breadth of, of, of that, that changeover. Um, is that, too simplistic of a way to think of 280E and the the impact that switching over to a, a regulated system would have. I think so because you got to ask what twenty five percent of what or ten percent of what and um, and the excise tax proposed in the CAOC is um, is on going to be on gross revenue at the production level, um, whereas uh, 280E at 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 the you least get to deduct your cost of goods. Um, and so you're not paying on your pure gross. Um, so, but that said, as I understand the tax system in the, in Booker's bill, um, you, um, it's a single tax through the whole supply chain, whereas 280E hits every participant in the supply chain, um, over and over and over again. So I, I do believe you would be really hard pressed to come up with a tax system that's worse than 280E. So it's almost always going to be better. Um, but it's not. But the benefit's not going to land evenly. You know, to, removing 280E is going to be great for retailers and distributors who get almost no tax deductions. Um, the excise tax at the production level um, will be felt through the whole supply chain, but is going to land on the producers at the first level. So, you know, it's probably worse for them, um, and at least until things get sorted out and we reach a new equilibrium. At least that's my thought. I definitely had questions about this because I, I, you know, you always hear so much about 280E. And, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, in theory, this is good, but I do wonder if this 
excise tax, and Karen, maybe you can clarify this, even on a small, you know, how, how, how much would that hurt, you know, hurt them? You know, if I'm just really just starting out, really, you know, haven't even been operating, you know, less than three years. I mean, my feeling is if everyone in the industry is paying the same excise tax, then it, then it should be tolerable for everyone. Um, you know, I think that that's right. And, you know, one of the things I do like about this bill is it does have a tiered t pricing model where smaller producers pay a lower rate. And so that really gives them an advantage because what that really means is if two people can produce a pound of weed at the same price, one of them can sell it at a much lower price because they're paying 15%, 15 points lower taxes. So if they can both produce a pound for $500, one of them can sell it profitably at 550 because they're only paying a 10% tax. The other one would have to sell it at a little over 600 just to break even. So it does give an advantage. Now, the reality is big producers tend to have economies of scale, so they can tend to be able to produce more cheaply. But at least, you know, like I, I think that I, I do like the idea of giving smaller producers a tax advantage. Um, and um, and so I think that will help. Um, you know, my guess is it's going to be really messy the first two years. There's going to be a lot of people that are really struggling. And it's going to, no one knows what to do. It's going to be just a disaster and, you know, just confusing. And, you know, I'm sure that will be the case. It always is. But I, I that's one of the things I like is this method of saying, hey, small, we're going to cut small folks a break. Um, and um, I think that's consistent with the general kind of social equity tilt of the of the bill coming at it from that point of view with a priority on uh, decriminalization, descheduling, expungement first, that's really the priority. The rest of it's really more, more uh, carrot, you know, I think to get there. And really the goal I think is the, is criminal justice reform. That's at least that's my read on. When you say phrases like in the first two years, it's going to be pretty, you know, complicated, painful, whatever. It's just like, Oh, that made it just feel really real. Like, uh, like, Oh yeah. When is that two years? Is it, is it, is it 20, 2023, 2024, or 30, 33, 30, 34? <laughs> um, we shall see. I don't know. Um, any, any clo closing, uh, closing words on, on, on this, uh, before we kick it off to, to segment two, Sarita? You know, good job team. Thank you guys for, uh, finally getting this, this to the next level. Um, we look, we look forward to, to more. We look forward to action. I know I certainly do. Yeah. Action indeed. And what I'm excited about is there's multiple points of action or inaction. We shall see. Um, so let's wrap up segment one there. Up next, more from Capitol Hill. Will he or will he not fulfill his campaign promises? First, let's take a quick break to hear from Shay and one of our sponsors who make this all possible. We're very thankful to have the support of our friends over at Hedgerow Analysis. If your legal marijuana company needs location-specific data-centered projections to help you plan and grow your business, look no further than Hedgerow Analysis. They have all kinds of fancy computer models backed up by smart blocks of relevant data to help you work out things like where the best place to build your dispensary would be. Or maybe you need help citing a distribution network to ensure maximum profitability. 
availability for a delivery service. Whatever your location-based strategic problems are, it's likely that Hedgerow Analysis can help you solve them. Pop over to hedgerowanalysis.com to learn more about the company's capabilities and to get in touch. That's hedgerowanalysis.com. Welcome back, folks. Joe Biden, uh, who has of late, hasn't always been the most precise uh, with his word choices and phrasing, uh, had a brief interaction at the White House uh, with reporters this past week, where when questioned about fulfilling his campaign promises uh, with regards to releasing marijuana prisoners, he responded, I don't think anyone should be in prison for the use of marijuana. We're working on the crime bill now. Uh, so certainly not an endorsement of the CAOA, uh, but that's a pretty clear statement that would be difficult to walk back at this point. While the release of the crime bill has been delayed due to the president's recent bout with COVID, we do have some details about it, and I'm not convinced that restorative justice really fits into the narrative. Funding for the bill would be used in hiring and training 100,000 new police officers, for accountable community policing, clearing court backups, solving murders, and setting up community task forces to share intelligence. The funds would also target crimes not directly related to guns, uh, such as fentanyl trafficking. Uh, so I'm not exactly convinced that we're going to reverse the impacts of the war on drugs by launching a new one. Call me crazy. I don't know, Sarita, um, are you putting any trust in old Joe and his comment that he's going to be releasing prisoners uh, in, in the foreseeable future? No, I lost my trust with Joe on that when he said he was doing that his first hundred days in office. So oh, fair point. <laughs> no, I, you know, but, you know, can he have a change of heart, you know, I know people are skeptical on that, but like, you know, at this age, at this stage, I I do, I have a hope that he has seen and heard enough from other people in his circle to know that, you know what? No, no one should be in jail for this plant, you know? Um, so I, I do try to give him a little, little bit of grace on there when people start bringing out that old footage. Um, I wish, you know, I know we're still heavy. <laughs> it does not it's age well. <laughs> it does not age well. I know we're having a cancel culture, but some way I'm going to find us a redemption culture because we have got to, we like you said earlier, alignment. We got to get in some sort of alignment. But, you know, I... I have questions, <laughs> like I had questions on the first segment, like what exactly does accountable community policing mean? You know, 100,000 sounds a bit like, I've been watching a lot of Star Wars recently. It, it sounds like, you know, the Empire coming in with some, some like, Black they just troopers. keep coming. I, they just I, keep coming. I'm not, 
I'm not really convinced, but I do, you know, I do like this um, looking for targeting crimes not directly related to guns, such as fentanyl trafficking, because there are some lots of other things that are going on that could use a lot more resources than locking up, you know, me or you or Karen for just, you know, taking five minutes out of a busy workday to to smoke a joint real quick. Like, come on, like there's there's big crimes and things going on. Um, you know, again, I also had questions about where's all this money coming from? <laughs> like, you know, where, where do we just find $37 billion? Like where in the hell does this money come from? Because that also makes me think, well, if you guys had this money sitting in a pot somewhere, we could have been really further along and really done some work for criminal justice reform, drug reform, um, you know, instead of y'all sitting back and writing these bills all damn day. I'm sick of y'all writing some bills. I need some action at this point. So, Or print $37 billion less money so that we're not so overly inflated and now the worst cash crisis ever. <laughs> um, you know, for instance. <laughs> um uh, Kieran, um, what do you think? Uh, are we gonna, and, and I don't actually mean this, but I was just going to repurpose the statement. I'm like, let the SOBs go. Uh, you're not SOBs. Uh, it's just like, I was just trying to like, that would be redemption for me. Right. If he just like kind of, um, maybe was self-deprecating a little bit. I, 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 it's just, I don't think it's within a politician these days, but like definitely not him. Um, to be like, yeah, that was me. And I'm going to make fun of my old self because I've grown and evolved because I don't think he has. And I think he's just trying to navigate the complicated waters of, of the party system right now. I, I don't know, but hope springs eternal um, that he's going to live up to his commitments and take action on this. You know, historically, uh, presidents pardon or commute sentences at the end of their term. Usually there's a big rush right at the end. Certainly... That's what happened with Obama. Obama did a ton. He didn't do nearly as many as he could have, but he did. He did do a large number, much more than than um, the historical norm. And so I have hope that we'll get the same from Biden. I mean, I think a big question there is whether he's going to be running for a reelection or not. Um, and if he's not, then there's really li little political cost to him doing that. I'm not sure this is something he really cares about. I, I, I'm not convinced that it's something that he really he really wants to do. I, I, I was convinced that it's something Obama wanted to do, but felt constrained by politics and what he could accomplish. Biden, I don't know that the calculus is the same, so I'm maybe not as optimistic. But if we come to the point that Biden's not running, then, you know, then we could really start looking. If he does run for re-election and he wins at the end of his second term would be the time to really push through a bunch um, or where you would expect to see it. Um, obviously, he promised to do it faster. That's that ship sailed. So now we're we're hoping for something else. Uh, I really think that there's an opportunity for political pressure to play a role here because he does listen and he does need to make his base happy and enthusiastic, both in the congressional elections and in the next presidential election, whoever ends up running. So I think this is something we could try to hold his feet to the fire and, and get him to do what he promised, um, at least at the margins. Now, the one other thing I will say is he said no one should be in jail for, for use of can cannabis, which obviously I agree with. Um, the other thing I'll say is not a lot of people are in federal prison for using cannabis. The, the people who are in federal prison tend to be there because they're dealing 
cannabis at large at a large level. That's the you know if you if you get a federal charge, that's probably what it was. So there is a little bit of a disconnect there. So to say no one should be in prison for using cannabis, it's like you could actually fulfill that really pretty quick, pretty easily. You know what I mean? Because that's just not really the norm. At state at the state level, it's a much different thing. But he can't commute or or, or free those people anyway. That's not his. Unless it was a like a unless it was like a third three strikes offense, right? And that was just the last the last trigger that that sent someone away. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just really unusual for a federal prosecutor to charge someone for simple possession. You know, it's just not something that really happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to dig too deeply into this. So tell me if you think I am. But in triangulating some positive movement here, like there is the the case of Brittany Griner uh, being detained in in Russia, right? And for her to be labeled as wrongfully detained, um, it does seem like a disconnect between you know our U.S. cannabis laws and you know the State Department labeling Brittany as 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 wrongfully detained. So, do we think that that might be another potential signaling or pressure point for us to kind of push forward some some change here in the near future? <laughs> or we're just trying to like pretend like that there's just a lot more forethought into any of these actions <laughs> than. Um, than what's than what they're what they're worth. The the first segment in the last you know in this current one I have questions you know, but I think this has become a political issue, you know for obvious reasons. Um, whereas we know she was wrongfully detained. There's also the question of the fact that it's like okay I know for me I remember searching this. And one of the first search terms that came up, why is Brittany in Russia in the first place? Oh, to supplemental income. So you mean she's a top player in the WNBA? There's, there's so many kind of even layers to the fact, like how did we even get here? To me even going, what exactly is Russia's ability to test cartridges at the airport? I'm just, there were so many things just running through my head of like how... How did we even get here? So I think it has become a political issue. I think he does have pressure on him, but then when it comes back down to it and you see stories of, okay, so this is gonna be a prisoner swap. Like what, you know, she's not, she won't come in espionage. Like what are we really talking, doing right now? Like, what are we doing here? Um, and then, you know, just on a personal note, it just was like, well, I know I won't be visiting Russia because I have to buy all new luggage. I would probably just have to do so many precautions just for the fear of, you know, being wrongfully detained. And I wasn't going to Russia anytime soon anyway. So. It's just, let me add that to the list. But, you know, just even that idea, you know, because for me as a medical card holder, this is medicine that I use for specific purposes. Um, I don't know that to be true for her, but it, it just seems so silly again, when you think of the bigger picture and, and, how misaligned we are, how really misaligned we are. Um, and that she's been locked up since what, February, you know, over a pen, like Karen, like you were just saying, people who are in federal prison are trafficking massive, you know, big amounts. This is not, oh, here's a pen in my purse or, you know, a carry on. Like, I, I do hope that they, that, you know, continued pressure and more people continue to speak out, especially the, the organizations that do have the influence here. Um, and, you know, 
I almost feel like just saying, throw another station, damn it. Like, pull our girls out. Pull our guys out from playing over there. Like, if y'all going to try to pull these stunts, we have to, you know, hit you guys where it hurts. It's just, it's frustrating because she should not be in jail for this at all. No, absolutely not. All right. Well, we'll await the crime bill to see what it actually contains. Hope the president gets better so he can do that. And I just hope he gets better in general. Not a ton of faith in the old drug warrior in chief, but um, we'll see. While you mull on that, I'm going to let Shay take over uh, with one of our sponsors while we prepare for segment three. final segment. Governor Hochul, who is quickly becoming my favorite governor in the U.S., announced last week that a couple community colleges in New York will receive $5 million in funding to support the creation or enhancement of short-term credential programs or courses offering uh, offerings that provide pathways to employment in the cannabis industry. Meanwhile, on the other side of the North American continent, a controversial dispensary location has been approved directly adjacent to the University of British Columbia, providing much-needed access and destigmatization for the adults attending that school. While we no longer allow ourselves to use the terms like tipping point in this industry, uh, I can't help but feel an immense amount of positivity about this trend and how normalizing it is for cannabis and just what it means for the inevitability of legalization for us. Sarita, how about you? Are we going to be uh, wrapping up the show on a, on a positive note for once? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This, this makes me so, so excited. I think this just helps to further legitimize, legitimize our industry, um, show, you know, that there is a great level of, you know, professionalism. There are experts, there are people that are interested in this industry from all different levels, and they are yearning for educational opportunities that are comprehensive and, oh, that, by the way, lead to a degree because they want to increase their earning power. So I am all for it. Um, you know, I recently moved back to Maryland, my hometown. So when I saw, I was like, wait a minute, University of Maryland, that's down the street. I am upset that I missed the deadline to apply, but that's all right. I signed up to be updated because it could be my turn very soon to get my master's in cannabis. And, and I am all, all for it. I mean, this is, this is good news. Um, I love what New York did because, you know, often you, you, you have these coalitions or you have these programs, but they aren't funded. So then it's like, 
you know, they struggle. Um, so for them to put their money, you know, and put, you know, a significant amount of money, I know for some, it's like, oh, they could give more, but you know, this is a starting point. This, this is a good opportunity. And the fact that they have to work with the local businesses as well to help influence, you know, some of the curriculum, I think that's also important because that means that we are building those bridges with, with the academic side and with the local community. I think that is nothing that's a positive and hopefully it expands more people's ideas about what they can do in this industry, where they can see themselves. And like you said, continue to normalize. I did chuckle with the, um, the dispensary coming next to the, the Vancouver campus. Cause I said, Lord, these kids about to be lit. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I am a little conflicted on that one. Um, because, you know, not that I believe in the, the lazy stoner, that trope at all, but, you know, got to be real. Cannabis is just going to enhance however you already are. So if you are lazy, this might not be the best move for you. But if you do have that get up, go ambition, you're going to go in there and get you some, some sativa or good hybrid. This might be good for you. Are you driving to get there? I hope not. You know, you know, like there's. there's I, I will say there. it's 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 right next to the bus stop. <laughs> right next to it. So take use public transportation, guys, at all costs. We're using public transportation, um, but this this is also you know exciting. I, I don't know how often you you get a liquor store beside a campus. Um, I was a commuter, but this does feel like a you know a safer option. But there's still some questions. There are still yeah. some questions on it. Yeah. I did verify. I jumped on Google Maps. There are multiple liquor stores, like right, or, I don't know, within the campus, right on the periphery of the can uh, the campus. So at least there's parity there, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Kieran, what about you? Are you are you gonna go get your master's in in cannabis? <laughs> uh. I feel like I've earned that one already, you know, like right. unofficially. So probably I, I don't see more education in my future, more formal education in my future. Although you never, you never know, you never know. There's old dogs can learn a new trick from time to time. Um, I was gonna add, I, I, I happen to be looking around and I, I didn't see anything um, uh, had had announced this, but uh, the, what the university formerly called Humboldt State University has now been renamed to um, uh, Cal Poly Humboldt, um, up in, uh, uh, Arcata, California and Humboldt County. And, um, they have just announced a degree program in cannabis studies, which is a interdisciplinary study, not so much on like how to grow or the cannabis business, but more a study of cannabis and its impact on society, which I think is really fascinating. Um, especially for that part of the world where obviously Cannabis has been a huge part of the local culture, of the local economy, and everything else. And so I was I was really intrigued by that. And I'm going to keep my eye on that one. Um, you know, Humboldt County is a place that has a, a very kind uh, relationship with my heart. So um, I'm glad to see it happening there. I I'm just I need to take a quick pause and and just say how awesome it is that we have a third Cal Poly now in California. I I'm, I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, the Cal Poly, um, and. Now we have, so we have Pomona, Cal Poly, and now Humboldt, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, the San Luis Obispo one has a pretty big agriculture uh, uh, studies system and like you know, a ton of land. And so it seems to be a nice uh, marriage with, with Cal Poly Humboldt. So shout out to, to the Cal Poly crew. Um, yeah, I'll have to make a visit up there. Maybe we can all, for maybe there'll be some like requisite, like you've been in the industry this long, you've done so much like, 
and we all get like these honorary degrees. And I want to see, I want to see cannabis like commencement spe- speeches someday. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> next, next fall, I'll you know I'll keep you guys posted so you guys can hear my first. My yes. Speech. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've always thought it would be fun for the next stage in my career to be like teaching, you know, cannabis law at some like the college or law school. Like, I always like that'd be cool. So, you know, if you're listening and you have such a position, hit me up. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah, I just got. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I re- the early days, right? Like Dale, Dale Sky Jones and and Oaksterdam, like, like how cool that was. And it's just like, oh wow, university, you know, dedicated to cannabis and like. Um, you know, how much that's evolved over the years. And, and now they actually have like transfer credits that can go over to like Golden Gate University. Um, you know, we have well over 20 colleges in, in the U.S. now um, that have some sort of cannabis program or certificate. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like regardless of what's happening on Capitol Hill, we, we got a lot of positive forward momentum that continues to grow. Um, and it's not easy. We don't, we all know it's not easy, but, um, it is getting to that point where it's like, again, it's not a tipping point, but it's just like this practically legal, uh, you know, is like something that we're f- certainly familiar with in, in, in California back in the two fifteen days where it was just like, it's practically legal. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. Universities studying cannabis, like who would have thought, I, I mean, that blows my mind. I, I, I I like to joke that I'm that that I'm old, which I'm I'm not not, but uh, I'm not that old, and I wasn't in college that long ago, and and it it is kind of wild just to imagine just back then what it would have been like to have courses on cannabis at, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. This is this is literally the second industry that I've been in where when I started in it there was no you know there was no courses or classes. The first was uh, social media. I was doing oh. Facebook pages for entrepreneurs way back when they were like, ah, I don't get it, but people keep talking about it. Now, you know, you can actually study, you know, study digital marketing and get a master's in, in these different, you know, um, industries. And then for cannabis to come right behind it. And I think it's awesome to see, you know, professors from Harvard that are talking about this. I mean, it's Harvard, right? So <laughs> there's support, you know, their ex- expertise. And then this time next year, Kieran's going to be dropping on LinkedIn that he's an adjunct professor somewhere teaching law. So Karen, I-, I see you. I see you. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> yeah. Quick tangent on, on social media. I, I was listening to this uh, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, segment recently, and he was saying that it's like if you're calling it, if you're referring it to social media as if it's something different than the internet, like you're 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 old and out of touch. Essentially, it's like social media is the new online platform. It is the evolution of online, and so if you're not hip with it, if you're not leveraging like social media platforms for your business, um, then you're simply just not with the times with digital content. And so, it was just a really interesting reframing because. I do find myself being a little bit of a Luddite when it comes to these new uh, social media platforms uh, like TikTok. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I never even got on Snapchat. So, like, I, I'm like, I feel like I'm two generations behind already. Um, but it's all right. The, you, the world Napster is changing. Just, Napster just relaunched. So you can what? go back. <laughs> you didn't see that? Yeah, they no. relaunched. 
They oh, sure man. did. <laughs> now that takes me back. Now I'm sure. What... <laughs> all right. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to go check that out. So I'm going to, uh, we're going to end the show as quickly as possible. So I could go, go do my Napster thing this weekend. All right. Let's wrap up segment three. We're going to take one last quick break. And when we return, finishing moves. Welcome back, folks. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves is the part of our show where our illustrious guests can talk about anything they wish. So, Sarita, what's your finishing move? My finishing move is to finish watching the last two episodes of the Michael Pollan docuseries on Netflix, How to Change Your Mind. Um, it's covering a psychedelic assisted therapy, LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, and it's just been really, really amazing watching it um, thus far and, and just seeing how, you know, medicinal, uh, you know, medicines and indigenous medicines are really having a moment and impact on our world and our culture and really changing lives much like cannabis. So I'm going to finish that series today and I have to go get more tissue because I've already cried through the first two episodes because it's a lot. Wow. <laughs> you guys are blowing my mind today. I'm like, I'm like learning so much. I like, I, I know of the book, like the book was transformational and has like touched so many people. And like a lot of our uh, colleagues in the, in the Bay area, especially I'm probably elsewhere, but like definitely in the Bay area, it's like, you know, uh, being quoted and recognized in the book. And it's just, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know there was a, a Netflix series. That is, that is awesome. It's so check it out for sure. Excellent. We'll do. All right. So yeah, Napster and, and Netflix. Okay. I can do that. It's a Sunday. <laughs> All right, Kieran, what's your finishing move? My finishing move is I want to shout out the folks at Meadow who uh, about a week and a half ago held a great event, um, the Cannabis m and Summit, where they put on three really good panels, um, had a lot of discussion about California market and how operators can survive and what's going to happen in mergers and acquisitions. Um, David Hu over there has done a great job of, of really building community, doing these kinds of events for general education. And, uh, and so I want to tip my hat and, uh, you can actually find a, uh, recording of, of all the panels that were on, which he, he, he was kind enough to ask me to be on one. So maybe I can get Shay to put that in the show notes so people can go find it. Hell yeah. Shout out to Hua. Um, yeah, Meadow, Meadow's real. They, they've been around first, uh, cannabis company to go through the, the Y Combinator accelerator here in the Bay area, uh, Silicon Valley classic. Um, and just, you know, so that immediately actually might've, 
you know, signal the wrong thing to the cannabis community. It's like, oh, Silicon Valley is coming for, for cannabis, but who has been a, a great shepherd of, of California cannabis culture, um, their, their events up in the Redwoods, the uh, Meadowlands, a uh, really awesome community event. Um, they've just been like a, a real big center point of the, the San Francisco cannabis community. So, um, yeah, great one, Karen. Thank you. Um, for my finishing move, uh, next week is the kickoff of the Global Cannabis Drinks Expo uh, series. We have uh, a, a an event in San Francisco that I'll be speaking at, um, and it's just a convergence of everyone working in the emerging cannabis drinks category. I know there's a lot of naysayers out there. It's only 2%. It's only 3% of the market, but, you know, it is... Uh, it's really a great movement going on. A lot of fantastic uh, products that have been hitting the market and, um, you know, making waves in, in a lot of uh, the emerging markets around the U.S. and in Canada. So um, San Francisco's July 28th, which I think is next Thursday. And then shortly following that is Chicago, August 2nd. Um, you know, find it online. Find me online. Uh, Sid Patel is, is leading the charge on this and he's putting out a lot of content interviewing the various uh, operators in the space and it's just uh, it's a really fun category to be in it's um I'm drinking like I said at the top of the show I mean enjoying an infused beverage right now it's just a nice discreet easily dosable way to consume your cannabis and it doesn't have to be polarizing. I, I don't understand why it's always like oh like there's you know I, I only smoke weed it's like well, you can smoke weed and drink your weed at the same time. Boom, like mind blown, right? Um, so go drink your weed. Come join us. San Francisco, July 28th, Chicago, August 2nd. It's going to be a party. And there are parties uh, like in what feels like bars with infused cannabis instead of alcohol, which is just awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that's my finishing move. All right. How about a round of applause for our amazing guests, Sarita, Kieran, you guys rock. Thank you to Shay and the team for their production work that makes us all sound so darn good and Overclock Remix for the amazing tunes. Thank you to all of our sponsors for their generosity in keeping our mics and lights on. And of course, thank you, our awesome listeners. Please, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes so that other cannabis nerds can tune in and stay current on the latest industry news. Most importantly, Marijuana Nation. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today and that you have an incredible marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One take.